Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Well, what an interesting weekend, Wendy, don't oh, you think? Oh, goodness. Yes. Quite an experience. Yeah, I would say. I would say it's certainly different than any kind of thing we've went to before. Very, very different. So if, if you wonder what we're talking about, uh, the topic for today's show is the Paradigm Symposium in Minneapolis, Minnesota that Wendy and I attended this weekend. Uh, it's put on by the guys from Intrepid Magazine. That's Scotty Roberts, Micah Hanks, and John Ward. And uh, they're kind of the people that spearheaded it. And this is the fourth year they did it. And uh, the first year that we went. Yeah. And, and um, a lot of people that were there had been there the other each year. Years, right. So and it's um, kind of cool. You could tell that the, the repeat audience, everybody was really excited about it. But that's our, it's a recap of it. So we're going to go over our favorite parts of the Paradigm Symposium today and, yes. and let you know if you couldn't be there, the kind of things that you missed. <laughs> that's right. Well, first we could set the scene describe the actual location where it was held Mm -hmm. it was at the paul revere masonic center yes in st louis park minnesota yeah which is southwest of minneapolis Mm -hmm. or i guess it's in west yeah west-ish minneapolis little kind of downtown suburbs i used to run through it when i was training for my marathons right and so and the temple or whatever you want masonic masonic lodge lodge that's right and i don't know very much about freemasonry or masonry or masonic lodges or anything Mm -hmm. like that but it was kind of like walking into the set of like a high school medieval kind of thing so i mean i i played the sheriff of nottingham sophomore year of high school in our school play of robin hood and like the, the, so the nice. castle walls and the suits yeah. of armor and the shields and the flags. And the big wooden thrones they had yeah. in there. And, so yeah. it, it just makes me think like if you, if you ever were in um, a community theater production of Camelot. Yeah. The hallways had normal walls that were painted to look like stones, but mm-hmm. in the actual, like the main, I guess, lecture hall or whatever you want to call it, there were... I don't know if they were fake or real, but they had, you know, stones. Yeah, they look pretty so good. So it looked like a castle wall. And then they had the the wooden chairs and everything with, like you were saying, with the shields. So it really was quite a unique setting. To, it was nice. Uh, it was fun. It like was I, fun. I can see why people would want to go there to meet up to yeah. have like secret rituals and stuff <laughs> like that. <laughs> or for paranormal symposium stuff. Yes. So that was, uh, no, that was a treat. And and so, I mean, first of all, you set, you set the scene with that kind of place. So it's like you're walking, you see the suit of armor. Yeah, it's a neat environment. Like you're walking into the Masonic Lodge. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess I've been to the Masonic Temple in Madison, too. Oh, right. And I did a thing. They were looking at maybe doing a tour. Mm-hmm. And so since uh, the tourism is one of the things that I'm interested in. Tour guy. And writing, you know, writing tours. <laughs> that was something we discussed was writing a tour of that. And I was surprised how open the Masons were. Oh, you know, they about were like, their rituals yeah. and things like that. Like, cause I mean, if you watch, if you watched any kind of documentary on cable in the nineties or when that angels and demons or what was the, the Da Vinci code? Oh, right. Right. Came right. Out, yep. You know, it just makes it sound like the Masons, like, you know, they're gonna, they're some secret society. Yeah. That, no and, one knows anything about them unless you're a member. Right. And really they're, it's just like a bunch of guys that like to do charity. And that seems nice, mm-hmm. I think, in most of the things. And so I, they're just like, well, we can't give you the actual rituals for the tour, but we can talk about what masonry yeah. is and everything. And, and it's all very theatrical. Oh, so, okay. we, so they have like at least a Madison Masonic Lodge, a Masonic Temple, not just uh-huh. a lodge. At the temple, they will have a big stage, you know, and 
uh, where people have weddings and things like that. Oh, so they'll cool. rent it out for weddings yeah. and events. But the big stages have a bunch of uh, scrims and backdrops and stuff. Uh-huh. And it's all taken from biblical stories and things like that. Uh, so like a big okay. fiery backdrop. Uh-huh. I mean, it's like a stage like you would have uh, in an auditorium where people pull on a play. So that's kind of when we're comparing the Masonic Lodge to the set of a play. Uh, that's see. for the rituals or when people get to like the 33rd. What are they the called? The level. The level. Okay. Yeah, when you level up. It's like in Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. When you get enough experience points, you get to level up. No, the Masons have degrees. Yes. And they had various wall hangings describing these, yeah, these things. talking about the degrees. Too, so. And just like the artwork and everything. Yeah. And so, I mean, you realize people do spend a considerable amount of their lives doing this thing yeah. and talking about it and stuff. And it's, it's interesting. And not knowing too much about it, but then being introduced to it in Madison and realizing mm-hmm. that it's, it seems like it's just a real theatrical thing of people who are using symbol symbolism and ritual to kind Mm. of connect with each other on a different level and nobody's like plotting to overthrow the planet at least maybe that's what we know of that that could have been the disinformation they gave to me like well we don't have any secrets everything's fine there's no there's no plan to take (laughs) over the planet there might be a uh, that might be part of the secret like you have to get to a certain level before you learn those things right kind of like if you're a scientologist when you become operating thetan level four they finally (laughs) tell you about the volcanoes and aliens and stuff like that and uh, that's, man, Scientology is so much fun. I can't wait to do a full episode Gosh. on Scientology and go into it. And a full episode on Masonry, too. Like, once we learn a little more, we can delve into behind the scenes and Masonic stuff. But kind of got a crash course in it this weekend yeah. at the lodge. So they had the lodge. So you, you entered, and then if you went off to the right, it would lead to the, the main lecture room where all the presenters were giving their talks. And then if you went to the left, it went to the vendor vendor room where, you know, people were selling their books and... um magic amulets yeah, and things yeah, exactly. like that. Or just, you know, it was like going into an um, a cult shop yeah. or something. You yeah, know, you like just walk in. shop or whatever. Here's so. some crystals. Here's some, you know, mm-hmm. and some neat artwork. It's pretty cool. And, and everything's lots, lots of skulls. Of oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> lots of skulls, lots of books. And the speakers Incense. were selling their cool books mm-hmm. there. And so that was my, I, I loved seeing what people had to sell and the cool yeah. books that the speakers had. Yeah, very cool. And, um, you know, I, I think there's a whole bunch of reading you know, like assigned reading. I feel like we went to the lectures and now we have to do the follow-up reading to completely oh, yeah. understand it. Most of these presenters have done extensive research. And yeah. so, you know, you see their presentation and you go, wow, there's a lot more to this. I really want to find out more. So that's a good little little ad. Right. So, well, we set the stage of the Masonic Lodge. <laughs> yes. And it, it, so it's in there. It's a cool place. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's different than, you know, your, your basic kind of convention hall or hotel. Absolutely, for I, sure. I thought that was fun too. Because, you know... Yeah. It, we're used to conferences at a hotel. You have the same kind of thing. Uh, and so this is like, okay. A m- very memorable kind of setting. Yes. And, it, I, you know, the Milwaukee Paranormal one was like that, too, at the oh, Irish uh, Cultural I, Center. Yeah, it I had agree. a very unique, special kind of feel to it. Yeah, the Irish Cultural Center, like, even had that, that feeling of, like, the main presentations done in kind of a church. Yeah. It felt like it was done in a church, you <laughs> yeah. know. And, and considering that Martin Luther King had once preached there, sp- there spoken there, that it kind of, I guess That's that had that cool. kind of effect. Okay. So we get there and everybody's like, oh, what did you see? All right. Well, uh, first of all, it, it kind of stuck with what the definition of a symposium is, mm-hmm. which is people kind of giving lectures. Yeah. You know? And they had it so that each day they kind of had a theme for each day. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it felt like that anyway. They're not a strict theme, but um, they had the first day, which was Thursday. <laughs> yes, Thursday. So, so we got there. We roll in. We leave Madison at nine o'clock in the morning yeah and head i mean we headed straight there drove straight there we didn't even i didn't even go to the bathroom yeah we really hauled <laughs> yeah we're like let's get there okay uh and so the keynote speaker was a guy named lon milo duquette mm-hmm. 
And he was an interesting guy. I, I liked it in the beginning because he opened with a little guitar, acoustic guitar. Yeah, he played, played a little a song. song. That was and cool. If, if you go to his Wikipedia page, and we'll have this linked in the show notes, othersidepodcast.com slash 92. 92. That's a good year. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so he was, a, he was an aspiring musician for a long time in the 70s, and he actually released an album on Epic Records. Wow. Yeah, Charlie, I had no idea. Charlie D and Milo was the name of the band. Okay. And so, kind of country, kind of folky, I guess they played with Hoyt Axton, who was, I'm not a big country guy, but country people know him, and you probably know him, Wendy, best, as he was the dad in Gremlins. Oh, well, yeah, of course. Okay. (laughs) So he was also a a songwriter. He wrote, Jeremiah was a bullfrog and a good friend of mine. Wow, that's a very It's a big song, so Hoyt Axton, yeah, and he was the dad in Gremlins. And uh, Arlo, knew? Arlo Guthrie, a famous folk artist, and they even oh, yeah. played with Sammy Davis Jr. One, wow. one time, man. Had no idea. Right. So that, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, me too. Anyway, so in the 70s, though, he decided to quit music and become like a follower of one of the favorite people on our program. Yes. Alistair Crowley. Right. Holy moly, it's Alistair it, Crowley. Brought it right up, and we, we both got really excited. Well, yeah, Alistair that. Crowley. And, and especially when he started off by saying, you know, he's a, like a master magician or something. Practicer of magic. I don't know. Wait, right. Wait. Magician. Not, not like, a magician in the Houdini yeah, sense, not, but like a magician and performs rituals yeah. in the hope of things happen. Not like David Copperfield or something. But, right. Um, but uh, he was a governing officer of the Ordo Templi Orientis, the OTO, mm. which is, that was the organization, the Hermetic Order and things, Alistair Crowley's magical organization. And so, of course, I wanted to know, like, is he conjuring up demons? Yeah. Is he, you know, what's he going to do? And really, he kind of laid it out that magic was a form of self-improvement yes. based on, you know, thinking and believing in the things that you focus on your capabilities and, and, yeah. and you know not limiting yourself and using the rituals as a form of that um, and not that if you say <laughs> the magic words 10 times then you know something's yeah. going to come down and you know make something magical happen like right like he said that the magic he discovered he's like well i discovered that if i wanted to have if I wanted to make more money i had to work harder and then if i <laughs> wanted to have more lovers i had to become a lot more charming and you're like well all right okay I then guess you know, I guess it kind of says that the, the leading guy from the OTO, or that could be disinformation too. But if the oh. leading guy from the OTO tells you that really the magic spell is working out. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, the gosh. magic spell. I you feel wanna, ripped off. <laughs> right. You want to attract people. The magic, the magic spell is going to the gym and eating right. <laughs> okay. And what's the magic spell oh, for, for getting riches? It's like, right. well, working hard, finding a business. And you're like, okay. But that was kind of good to know. And I, yeah. I love the idea too that, you know, people think of the symbols of Alistair Crowley, the most wicked man in the world and everything and the 666 yeah. and the demons and everything. Okay, you're using rituals to kind of put yourself in that mindset, to give yourself that kind of belief. I like that too, because it made it feel like it's possible for anyone to make anything happen, yeah. you know? So it's like, oh, okay, this is more of a, I don't know, not Tony Robbins, but more of a, a, a mind exercise than... And it also sometimes. doesn't seem like BS. Right. Which is what a lot of things with people like, when yeah. you say the magic, and only if you believe hard right. enough, you know, then you'll become a real boy. It's a secret. Um, so I appreciated that. But it was an interesting, and a lot of his focus was on the development of Freemasonry from the Knights Templar. Yeah. So he was kind of going into that, the history of the Knights Templar, and how maybe their secret that why they got free reign of Jerusalem and then maybe why they were executed in the end was that they knew that uh, some of the biblical stories 
weren't real. Yeah, and his whole uh, talk really focused on that. How how many evidence that he thought was compelling enough to to believe that right that that Solomon and David weren't real people, that maybe the Exodus wasn't real, that it, you know, and like okay, and so they come right. there and all these biblical stories in the Knights Templar are like, hey, we were at this at the site of the temple, and there's. There's nothing. Like we couldn't find anything and everything. And so the church is like, hey, you guys can do what you want because we don't want this to get out yeah. because we're using right. religion as a form of social control. Yes, and exactly. Th- and then eventually when the church gets sick of the Knights Templar, they execute their their main mm-hmm. guy on Friday the 13th. And the Knights Templar goes underground and becomes the Freemasons. And that's pretty much his story. Yeah. And there, there was a lot of talk about that throughout the weekend, actually. Well, we were at the Masonic Lodge, so the people are going to be... Well, right, but I mean, the symposium, the fact that it was held there was not right necessarily because of that. It had to but do it with just, it. Yeah, it was a, a, a topic that was covered very thoroughly. <laughs> so that was the keynote, and, and Lon Milo Duquette was there the whole weekend, and we had a chance to talk to him and stuff, and he was a nice guy. Just an interesting, yeah, nice guy, kind of charming, grandfatherly Sean Connery-looking kind of guy. Yeah, it's like Sean, description. Yeah, you know, with the gray hair, like the real white hair, beard. beard yeah. And uh, like Sean Connery when he used to wear the tupe. Oh, like, yeah. Because, I mean, Sean Connery, you know, he was bald pretty early, so he was wearing the tupe, and then like, <laughs> so think Hunt for Red October, Sean Connery. Uh-huh, right, yeah, is, I could see that. That's what sure. you think. Yeah. And, and like you mentioned, he was there the whole weekend, and so were almost all of the speakers, so it was pretty cool because in between the different presentations when we'd go on break and stuff, those guys would be just hanging Hang out, out in the lounge area, you know, having a snack or whatever. Just And so you could chat with them. You could ask them questions. And it was wonderful to be able to have that access to those people. And, you know, I, I would say that really did set it apart. It did. From other things. Yes. I mean, at the other stuff, you could go up to the booth and talk to the people. But I think there was less socializing at some of the, at the yeah, other conventions. Yeah, I agree. And, like, everybody was really just hanging out all yep. day and they were nice <laughs> like nobody was unwilling like everybody was mm-hmm. really into it so you'd expect the people to be like look if you want to hear about this then just listen to my presentation and ask read, a question at the end right read my book you jerk oh and the other thing was the q a's like no question went unanswered you know yeah sometimes they have to cut them off but they just let things roll they and let the time so everybody <laughs> right and then everybody if, got their questions and if you if you thought of a question later, you could go up and actually be like, yeah. hey, dude. Exactly. And then just be like, yeah. And sometimes I was I was just shocked the uh, availability and openness of everybody. Mm-hmm. I really thought Me that too. was a, a delight. That like, was awesome. So 2.30 p.m. on Thursday, John Ward did an archaeological presentation on the new discoveries at, uh, I don't know if I'm saying it right, Gebel El Sicilla <laughs> in <Okay>. Egypt. <laughs> right. And uh, so that was that was a real academic one. That was, yeah. They've been uh, apparently doing research there for quite a while, and it's uncovering some really cool things. Yeah, and that was on the science side. It was just interesting uh, to think of, like, you know, this time in Egyptian history. And it really was like, yeah. so he's doing real archaeological research. Yeah, he's, he's opening tombs that haven't been, you know, seen by human eyes since they were sealed. Right. <laughs> that type of thing. So it's really, it's like Indiana Jones stuff. <laughs> yeah, so that was kind of, I, I thought that was a good and interesting one. That was real. Very, like, yeah. that was one where you had to be really, like, I'd say there was a good portion of it that was above my head. I, yeah, me too. And I'd taken some archaeology classes and stuff. And I'm still yeah. like, oh man, like it's an academic. Like this guy's, I'm getting like half of it and the rest of it. I'm just like, <laughs> okay. And he's got, you know, it's like a smooth British, like hello. Oh yeah. And he looks like a younger John Hurt, the actor. Um, the guy in Alien, that the alien bursts out of his chest. 
Um, he played the war okay. doctor in Day of the Doctor. You'd recognize him if you see him, but he, he really reminded me oh, of John okay. Hurt, the actor. So I want you guys to picture, because John Hurt didn't have a goatee when he was younger. Okay. But I want you guys to picture the actor, John Hurt, <laughs> with the goatee that he has now, but looking about 25 to 30 years younger. And so that's kind of uh, John Ward's speech. I was just like, oh, it's John. He's got that smooth yeah. British accent. Hello. You know, yeah. I, that obviously is a, it's a joke accent mine. But, but they, they go to Egypt all the time, so mm-hmm. they are just experts in the whole Egyptian right so, <laughs> archaeology thing so that that was just cool to hear about because it really was like Indiana Jones you know it's like mm-hmm. hey professor right so when we do our um yeah right it, it, just like Indiana Jones remember Indiana Jones when the girl closes her eyes and she's got love oh, you yeah, on the eyelids right. that's what I was expecting to see so that was good and I think he's the kind of person so we did the gods of Egypt episode uh, yep. a couple months ago when that movie came out and I think that care like we'll have to bring him on to have like an Egypt two hundred one. Oh yeah, that would be great. Story, you know, he could, he get, could definitely like fill in the blanks yes. for us. So let's say if you were into Egyptian stuff, let's go to the next level. Mm-hmm. And here's something that you're not going to get if you just watch the History Channel. Yeah, I'd, I'd love for us to talk to him. Yep. And so, so he was entertaining, nice guy, young John Hurt. Um, <laughs> and then next up was Doctor Rita Louise on oh, Thursday. Right. Yep. And she was, you know, she had some points. That I thought were kind of interesting. Yeah, you know, she goes. So, so while Doctor Ward's um, presentation was very academic, her presentation all of a sudden is like ancient aliens. You know, like she, yeah, like here's the academic side, and here's left field, and she came flying in on a left field, and so she would talk about genetic engineering in antiquity, and so. Uh, her story was basically talking about she thinks that the human race is much older than it actually is. Uh-huh. And that there's certain like milestones in human history where the genetic code was changed. And uh-huh. right. And who changed that genetic code? <laughs> so that was a kind of that was fun. That was cool. Yeah, it it, it started venturing in the the UFO direction which Right, which is always got exciting. It's always a good part. So, Doctor Rita Louise, and and she was interesting because, you know, she just spoke very factually. She's like, yes. okay, and then she would talk about genes and things. And another thing where it went a little bit over my head because it's like, okay, now we're talking about like specifically named genes mm-hmm. introduced at a certain point in human history, right? And this is where an agriculture happened, and this is when, you know, we stopped being hunter gatherers, and this is when from Australopithecus to Homo erectus yeah. to blah blah blah. What's the answer? aliens <laughs> yeah and it's important to note that all of the presenters i felt were just very good investigators of their topics mm-hmm. and very very thorough on things and they didn't report it in a sensationalist, sensationalist way yeah. at all like it was just kind of like, okay here's a fact here's a fact here's a fact here's a fact we might be able to guess that these facts are all lined up this way because right you know and so it's just it, it's they presented things in a real compelling believable way so mm-hmm. i appreciated that and i did too and, and i thought that uh there was nothing sensationalist as i expected yeah. and usually at these things you're gonna get somebody that's gonna say something that you're like i completely disagree with that Off like you wall. are yeah <laughs> like you are saying something that makes us all look bad for even being here mm-hmm. and i think everybody really kept it uh pretty sharp yeah. and i appreciated that definitely you know that everybody was was super super star, super <laughs> smart super smart you super can tell smart. you can tell they were super smart and i am obviously not so 
those are the, the speakers we saw on the first day. That's right. And had some fun Thursday. Yes. And then Friday, when we went back, the first speaker we saw on Friday, uh, I, had to, I had to take care of some business in the morning. So we got there uh, a little after lunch, was uh, Rocky Stucci. Yes. <laughs> and he was, he's friends with the guys who are the organizers, um, Scotty Roberts and John Ward. And so he had done some ghost research with them. Right, so but he, he's he's actually like a political uh, yeah, radio but, uh, personality, right? Yeah, so he's so, in like a Minnesota political radio personality. He's got the Rocky Stucci show or whatever. Yeah, and they played the Godfather entrance theme, yeah. and he's got that Italian kind of and a, uh, a very dynamic speaker presentation. Yeah, I would say I, I would say he came out guns blazing. Yeah, he did. Would be a yeah. good way to talk about him. But I thought the most interesting part of his speech is when he did EVP, a little EVP analysis. Oh my gosh, that was cool. And I mean, it was a really good EVP. <laughs> Because a lot of EVPs you listen to and you're like, okay, you know what? That's could be anything. Right. Like exactly. I think somebody farted and now oh. you're calling that an EVP. Yeah. It'll be like, Hey, listen to this. And it's like, <laughs> it totally said, Mike, I'm coming to get you. <laughs> right. And it's like, like that uh... was my stomach growling guys. Like that wasn't, that, there's aliens <laughs> in my stomach. There's ghosts in my stomach that are mad that I haven't fed it enough. Um, but no, it was, it was like a, a loud bang. Mm-hmm. When they were alone in the house and there was nothing there to fall or anything, oh like a loud bang. And then they all leave the room and there's a microphone left there. And there's this. Oh, yeah, it's so scary. And it says, welcome. <laughs> yeah, just clear as clear as could be. <laughs> and you're like, so, what? Oh, man. Like, who said that? The thing is, they weren't even by the microphone. Yeah. And so they run upstairs. And you can hear everybody running and like Like, swearing because they're freaking out. Yeah, they're pooping their pants a little bit. Like, like, oh, God. You know, people are, they're terrified and everything because they hear this loud crash. And they go check it out and run up the stairs. And you hear hear everybody leaving. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds like a dog panting almost. Right. And then it's just like, welcome. Oh, I got goose pimples (laughs) just hearing that story. I have it right now just thinking about it. (laughs) So that to me was an exciting, like if I got an EVP yeah. like that, I'd be talking about it all yeah, the time. That was like really I would go cool. to conferences and be like, check this out. Like we have no idea yeah. what this is. Why is this on the tape? I don't know. And when he described it, I expected it to be one of, you know, a lot of times with the EVPs, you really have to strain to hear it. And so mm-hmm. I was expecting to not hear it the first time through, like, but it was wow. just complete. I mean, it sounded like a person just, just going just well, straight up to the mic. <laughs> right. I, and a lot of times it's like, it'd be like, oh, you hear the breathing? And it's like... Right or yeah, it's just like audio. You know, and it's it's audio junk or it sounds yeah. like the they the static or something, the furnace or something mm. like that. And it's like, oh well, no, this was like <laughs> <laughs> it's like somebody standing in front of the microphone and panting, like to we like, like we are right, like dog is right now, yeah. And and the welcome too, I expected to be like, <laughs> I thought it was gonna be like, I thought it was gonna be like, <laughs> and they're you like, know. you heard that right? That's welcome. You, welcome. You heard that welcome right? And you're like, what? No. I didn't hear that and you don't hear it until they but it was a great so that was the highlight of his presentation yeah that was cool me. anyway an interesting you've got an interesting show and they have a little a network and they talk about political topics and things like yeah that, and he's so. got an interesting story about you know he's I guess had some addiction issues and things mm-hmm. like that so he sounded like a very interesting kind of um, a former addict and biker yeah kind success of story you know and I didn't realize that bikers were actually a gang like, no, I, you know, until a few weeks ago, I was some, some of them, right. I, I know that most <laughs> bikers are not like most bikers are just guys that ride Harleys, but biker yeah. gangs, when I thought of them, I'm like, why do people just don't like biker gangs? They just, they're just people that like riding around, listening to classic rock. And I didn't realize that the hell's angels and the outlaws and stuff. Cause I, um, I've gone to perform music somewhere and like some of the audience yeah. was like affiliated 
Yeah. Or whatever. Oh, yeah. With a biker gang. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, they're affiliated. That just means they like to ride, right? Like, a lot of times they'll be the security people too. Right. But I didn't, I didn't realize that <laughs> for these main branches of biker yeah. gangs, they run drugs and prostitution oh, rings. And then if you're affiliated, that means that when the Hells Angels outlaws or whatever come into town, like you have to do their bidding. Whoa. Like they're like the gen, you know, they come into town and you got to help them out. You're affiliated, which means you get protection from them if you need it or money. Anyway, biker culture. I really thought it was just about biking and until i was 30 it's not just recreation Mike. until i was 39 years old i'm like oh that's neat they get to wear the jackets and everything like that wouldn't it be fun i read zen on the art of motorcycle maintenance i'd love to have that trip across the country (laughs) yeah that sounds great and and, and, no it's oh violence and drugs okay so i think that's what he was associated with because he was talking about right yeah yeah one of the largest criminal organizations in the united states and before i would not known who that was well, and I mean, I thought he was making some references to the, the mafia as well. Yeah. May, well, right. Cause he does the Godfather intro. Right. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, listen, to, I'm sure he'll talk Very about this subtle. more on his show, the Rocky Stucci show. <laughs> and uh, I hope he, but ta- yeah, he was good. And I've listened to his radio stuff and, pa- and the political talk usually isn't my thing, but when he talks yeah. about paranormal, he's a dynamic Heck and interesting yeah. speaker. Cool. Up next was uh, another character that first of all, this guy's name is great. Yes. Start up. Laird Scranton. Yes. He was discussing, like, it was straight up, uh, like, geology, archaeology kind of yes, thing, too. very cool stuff. You know, saying that uh, he was comparing the dwellings of this uh, tribe in Africa, the Dogen tribe, who mm-hmm. we've talked about in the show before, to the dwellings in the houses of this place called Scarabray. Which I love is, that name, too. Scarabray. It sounds <laughs> It does. <laughs> and Scarabray, which is uh, in the Orkney Islands, off of Scotland. So he was, you know, like kind of making the connections between the Egyptians, uh, the Orkney, the, the, this Scarabray settlement, yeah. and also the Dogen tribe in Africa. And I think the points were interesting because he was kind of saying that Scarabray was a site of ancient knowledge. Like he would think of it like a univer, like he was describing it like a university. Yeah. Like they would learn agricultural techniques right. and things there. And so agriculture was a sacred was sacred to these people. Yeah. And so these were like sacred secrets and you would go there and learn them and then go back uh, to your place. And then that's how you learn to plant and learn how to reap. And, and when you really think about agriculture, yeah, it's a I big mean, change. You need, and as cultures grow and, and you know, you need it to, to survive, right. to make it through. So it's, it makes sense that it would be a sacred thing that you would <laughs> want to protect that knowledge. And Right. And that, that they would treat it as like a mystery mm-hmm. and kind of thing. And I always, whenever we talk about the Dogen, tribe in Africa, I always say like, well, where did we get that knowledge about agriculture from? Yeah. And it's aliens. Oh, right. Of course. <laughs> like it's going to be, the aliens came down, we're like, check this out. And if it was Dr. Rita Louise, she'd be like, you know what? They changed their DNA and then told us how to do agriculture. Yeah. But uh, he had a lot of good evidence about the similarity in, in the dwellings and how like- He did. And how it, it closed down, like the, the settlement was abandoned 3,600 years ago. Yeah. So it was both the dwellings, and then he also had a lot of research on the languages mm-hmm. and the similarities to the, the words and their origins and that type of thing that really linked up that, you know, is it quite convincing. Yeah. I mean, it, it really is. Like, he's like, okay, so here's the, the Dogen word. Here's the Egyptian word. Here's the, um, you know, the, the, the Gaelic word or the Scottish right. language kind of word. And you're like, well, okay. Yeah, they're very... Like, you could see it. And, and some of it, like, he's taking, like, compound words and, and putting them together yep. and everything. And sometimes you're like, okay... 
You're I think you, but it, it's all based in logic. Mm-hmm. It's all based in like, okay, a certain kind of logic can lead you to these, uh, can lead you to these conclusions. And I think that's what I enjoyed about it was that even if sometimes I, I didn't agree with his logic, I still found that I can still see where you're coming from. There's no point, like you, ever, you, you see those, uh, those joke things where they have like, number one, do this. Number two, do that. Number three, blank. Number four, profit. Right. right. (laughs) You know, kind of thing. Like there was no point where there was a missing number three that didn't have the link between number two and number four. And so, uh, that's why I enjoyed him and the, the mystery, the mystery of Scarabri. (laughs) Uh, so so Laird Scranton was interesting. And then three o'clock was one of my favorites. Oh, one of my favorites too. Yeah, Yeah. Peter, Peter Robbins, uh, who wrote a book, left the East gate about the Rendlesham UFO incident in uh, the U- UK in 1980. So he basically, he wrote the book on the, the UK Roswell. Right. And then he began to present a large amount of evidence proving that there was an alien landing there mm-hmm. at that military base in the UK. And um, it was just, so I mean, it was very, very compelling. I was, right, I was like, "Yep, that's a that's it's, it's UFO that landed it's there." It's almost like you can't think of any other possible explanation for it. I, I mean, so that was great. And I'd I'd heard him on the radio before, and I'd heard people talk about the Rendlesham incident, and it's always like it's the, it's the English Roswell. Yeah, you know, kind I didn't of know thing. that much about it actually. So and it's cool to well, I'd that. never I tried to follow it, but I just never kind of got it before, and so. um it's it's really a fascinating incident of it's it's U.S. Uh, military in the U.K. at an Air Force base and the different people that saw some and not just saw a light in the sky but right. over three days like saw something in the sky and then were right in front. They of, saw a ship land and then they saw creatures <laughs> right. come out of it, and and so this uh, Peter Robbins was working closely with one of the soldiers who. Had, had a story it. to tell and had seen it and, and gave him the details and they've been back there so many times to research it. And to, I mean, the, the research has been extensive. They were showing samples of the soil where the ship had landed versus, you know, the surrounding areas. There's yeah, substantial I love, differences in it. And like, I love that. There were just so many things and so many people that were there that had different accounts that all kind of lined up, not kind of like really lined up. So. Yeah. And, and even if it wasn't a UFO, even if it was like a government yeah. thing, something whatever it was it was something that we don't normally see here and the people are still alive so unlike roswell and you know roswell's a tough thing because i mean the 1940s i know it's only i mean think about the distance to the 1940s so think about 69 years since roswell 69 that's well within my parents lifetime right that's less than twice our lifetimes so it it's not that far away but it seems like it does feel like far away because the pictures and everything are so Right, old looking from that, you know, black and white pictures, and and the technology is different. You know, mm-hmm. it just it because it's that post war kind of thing, right? And, and we were so secretive after the war, and you had to be so secretive during the war when they were doing atomic tests and everything in that area, you know, in the deserts, and they were blowing up the atom bomb and everything. You can say that. Well, was it a weather balloon? Was it all those right. kind of things? It just this to me seemed so much more backed up than the stuff I've heard about Roswell. I agree. and I was a Roswell's true believer for years, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, and just hearing this man speak who's dedicated, what did he say, 35 years of his life he's been working yeah, on Yeah, like this. I think I the, mean, the book came out in the late 80s. It's I mean, just, he started the research in the, maybe the book came out in the 90s, but he started the research in the late 80s. Yeah, it was, it was very cool to hear. And we're going <laughs> to, we're definitely going to have him on to have a whole episode yeah. on the Rendlesham incident. And because it just, 
It's 1980. First of all, it'd be fun to write a, a song in the popular UK oh, music yeah. in 1980, in that, <laughs> you know, in that vein. Um, but second, just, you know, it makes me want to go there and check it out now. The Rendlesham Forest. Yeah, totally. And, and he gets into like weather experiments and stuff too. Oh, like yeah. there was a thing at the end where they have this freak storm in 1988. Yeah. And it changes everything and nobody can figure it out where the storm out, like, came from. like a huge chunk of the forest. And it's, yeah, it's, it's just, so it's like, they could have been, they were testing things there. There was weird stuff going on there. And like from, from weather control to, to right. alien drive, gravity drive. And they had so like so. all the um, weapons stored there as well. So that right. was part of the, the story. Chemical and <laughs> nuclear weapons. Yeah. And so, um, anyway, I like, I recommend you got to check out his book and we're having the show cause he was a really interesting yeah. guy and his, it felt like. He was making a case. So it, was, it sounded like a lawyer making a case. Absolutely. For That's exactly what it was like. <laughs> something weird happened. And then, so, you, you know, if you had a lawyer making a case, I think the next speaker who was, the, kind of, I mean, he was the, the marquee name kind of thing. When you think of alien abductees, the most famous one is Travis Walton. Yes. So, so, if, if, so if Peter Robbins was like a lawyer trying to make his case for weirdness happening in the UK, Travis Walton was the witness Right, but this is a different case, though. Just, no, just a different sure case. Clear, sure, but... I was I was trying to like link them thematically. No, I, I gotcha. I just didn't want people to be confused. No, so so, so so Travis Walton. If you ever seen the movie Fire in the Sky, he was played by the actor DB Sweeney. Mike, the other guy, is played by Robert Patrick, who was on the X Files, and he was the Terminator, the second Terminator. James Garner is in it. It's I mean, it's a great movie, and it's when I, I and I saw it like. Probably the weekend it came out. Oh, I, was, I don't think I've ever seen it actually. But I was I've sixteen years old. I've seen clips of it and stuff like that. But I'm absolutely going to watch it now because after hearing him speak and meeting him and talking to him and seeing his documentary, it's I'm really curious to see the Hollywoodized right. version of it. So th- what they were doing is so Travis Walton had a, a presentation, or I mean, basically just a talk. Yeah, like he just talked about things and answered people's questions, and then they showed his documentary, uh, right. Travis. And that's um, a documentary kind of, it takes the Hollywood part out of it, but it goes back and has all this archival stuff from the 1970s when they were being interviewed and, and the newspapers and the... So we'll just give a really quick synopsis for yeah. the people who don't know his story. He was a logger yep, in, in Nove- Arizona. November 1975. And he and his logging crew were up in the mountains in a really remote area working a long day and it was starting to get dark. They saw a light. They drove over to check it out what it was because, you know, normally when you're in the mountains in a remote area, that's, <laughs> you don't right, see, you don't other see lights. lights at all. So they went over there and they saw a ship hovering and it had a beam that was pointing down to the earth. And like, yeah, like if you picture it, like, a, if you, you know, you picture the, the flying saucer going yeah. around and then the beam, like, like a tractor beam. <laughs> yeah. Like seeing what's up. And then, um, you know, they all kind of were shocked and amazed, of course. And Travis wanted to get a closer look. So he ran toward it. And he was hit by the the energy or whatever, and, and like knocked li- him out. Like lifted up. So like yeah. in the movie, they show me like lifted up and, and thrown, and and he made it sound like the beam, like really like it was a strike of light, like getting struck by lightning, basically. Yeah, I think that's how he made it sound. And his friends saw that happen, and then they ran to get help. And when they right. came back, he was gone. <laughs> they thought he was dead. Yeah. They so thought, they totally but they didn't. They were afraid to run, you know, back toward the ship and stuff because they they were worried that they would get hurt too. So right, instead they of they went to get help, instead of going toward him, they went back and they reported it to the police. And these guys were honest and they said they what said they saw. the story. And it was, so there were five of them. So like they all saw the same thing and they all 
you know, they did the polygraph tests on him and they all passed and it was just. They saw their friend get hit by an alien death ray, like for, like a, a, an alien death ray. And then they went back and reported yeah. it and they, I, right, they all passed the polygraphs. What? Like, yeah. And then, what? so then he was gone. So everyone accused them of murdering him and, you know, hiding the body. And then he, five days later, he appears, he wakes up like on the road and he's got, you know, he, d- he didn't know how much time had passed, but he's got like five days worth of beard growing. And, Stubble. Yeah. And so anyway, the whole thing is that those, those guys witnessed this and he's got some memories from being in the ship and stuff. You know, we could yeah. save that for right, another episode, but, but the whole thing that those guys saw it happen, they reported it to the police, what they actually saw, you know, not, they never changed their story. Right. And it's 40 years later and they still like, nobody has changed their story. And Travis is just like the most down to earth like a Guy regular gonna, dude. He, seriously. I mean, I was so impressed um, to hear him speak. And, and he also just, rep- he just told us the facts. You know, he's like, this is exactly what I remember. And here's what people said they saw. Here's what I saw. Here's what I remember when I woke up. Mm-hmm. And you just, I thought it was like, there's no reason for someone to make up a story like that because he was t- saying how, you know, it was kind of sad at the end. He said that he, he still wishes it, it had never, never happened. happened because it didn't affect his life in a super positive no, way. No, no. People, I mean, he was like... Ridiculed and, yeah. of course, called crazy or saying that he made it all up or for profit or whatever. Like, Yeah, so it's just a really sad story of, you know, what happened to him after the fact and the way the, the people in the town treated him and the police and everybody, you know, just... Um, <laughs> Nobody believed him. So. No, and it doesn't, it just, it doesn't come out great. Yeah. And, and the thing is, and I don't, I mean, he said 40 years of practice, but you just, and you can just go up there and talk to him. He's want to talk about it. Super yeah, nice, super yeah. just humble. Not, I mean, he doesn't make it, he doesn't sensationalize it. He talks mm. about the parts he can remember. And when you ask him some more mm-hmm. salacious questions, when you're trying to say like things like, oh, what they do to you? Like, yeah. what do you remember? And he's or like, like, what was the ship? What did it look like inside? Like, tell us some details. And, and, and so, I mean, so after the movie, like we all just hung out at the Masonic Lodge and like, you know, had some drinks and talked and everything. Yeah. And so like, that was so cool. Right. We, I mean, just all night and we're sitting there talking and like, I could just ask Travis like, Hey man. And I, I, I talked about some different theories and things like that. And he's like, well, maybe, but I tell you, I can only talk about the things that I can document. That I know are true. Yeah. That I, that I know I remember. Like when I was asking him yeah. about, like, have you had dreams about things that you maybe remember something different because of your dreams or have things come to you like in flashes? Mm-hmm. You know, in, in Communion, which is the book by Whitley Strieber about alien abduction, right. which is kind of my introduction to alien abduction. Yeah. In Communion, he talks about seeing animals, owls, set off the gray alien memories for him. So I was kind of asking mm-hmm. him about that. I was probing Travis Walton. <laughs> Oh gosh. But you know, I, I, what I just a nice, Oh yeah. So great. And what I really appreciated about his talk was he also explained how he's, how he's come to terms with it over the course of his life, you know? So through the four decades that have passed, you know, initially he was saying how obviously it was traumatic and, and he, you know, you feel violated and you feel why, why did this happen to me? And Mm -hmm. you know, it's my fault because I went running at the beam and, and then he said that he's come to accept it more as not like they were trying to hurt him, but they were, they, he accidentally got in the beam and they wanted to make him better. Like they before, saved him. Yeah. So it wouldn't be like they came, they came in there exploring earth or whatever and it's, hurt an, hurt a person. It's like you, it's like you're driving and you ran over a dog yeah. and then you take the dog to the vet. Yeah. And so I, I, I think, I mean, I, I think that's what he thinks of it like yeah. now. That, and, but that took him years to come to the fact mm-hmm. that they weren't doing some kind of diabolical experimentation, yeah. but that 
like they tried to bring him back to life because they did drop him off. You know, I mean, yeah. And he also describes it as I I choose to think of it this way and it gives him some peace of mind to not, you know, because how horrible it would it be to think every day like, oh, God, they came after me and tried to kill me, you know, like, (laughs) sure. Right. So I thought that was really cool. That was a neat human way of dealing with the experience. Mm hmm. Just a very reasonable person and, and stuff, and yeah. um, it, was, it was it was just fun to be able to just talk and yeah. hang out. He's a great and, guy, and he's a musician too, right? And he had his guitar out <laughs> and stuff like that. And he's uh, he gets backed up by his kids. Yeah, they're, they're doing a like a paranormal and music. That's so cool. Festival in Laughlin, Nevada. So so good for him, and it's nice that we have a little common thread there. Yeah, <laughs> we're musicians too. So anyway, that was that was just really fun, and and the movie was a highlight for me. And yeah, getting the documentary to meet him. was excellent. Yeah, and we'll and be we'll be talking about that again, and we'll go into, we'll go into depth with the producer and stuff. And because uh, here's the thing for me: forty years, nobody's broke character. Right. These guys are getting into their elderly ages. So if th- these guys are seventy years old or um, approaching seventy, then uh, somebody offers you tell the truth yeah. tell the truth and I'll give you $50,000 we'll make a special on the sci-fi channel the truth about Travis Wall the truth about fire in the sky to try to get them to just crack right and I'm sure or even make off- up a story even just lie and say this is okay this didn't happen you know mm-hmm. but no they're all they're all sticking, sticking to, it. to the story so hey I believe them I do too I you mean know? I believe what they reported I really yeah. do was it aliens I don't know was he taken he was taken by somebody yeah <laughs> You know, yeah, and I think it, was, it might have been being alien beings. It was very convincing. So that was Friday night, which was I thought was really fun, and uh, we had uh, too good of a time on Friday night, so we came <laughs> in a little late on Saturday. Yeah, and I actually I had work to do on Saturday, so I unfortunately I missed some of the panels. So you'll have to. I'll I'll, I'll let you know what's up. Summarize. Okay, cool. First person was paranormal Sarah Sarah Soderlund. She's a Twin Cities based like researcher. Right. A lot of the work she does is with psychopathy. Cool. Okay, so psychopaths, and that's a lot of the questions she was answering. Mm-hmm. And because the thing is, like, sociopaths, psychopaths, people that don't feel a kind of empathy, feelings, people that can make business decisions because they don't care as much about the human element. Right. You know, we tend to think of a psycho like a Michael Myers type character <laughs> or something, like he's just going to cut you up. Yeah. But what if somebody just doesn't feel the same as you? Mm-hmm. You know, they just don't have those same feelings. Like, we think somebody losing their job. Oh my God! Doesn't that person have a it's heart? Terrible. Doesn't, yeah. I'll say okay. So think of a CEO of an organization. They sometimes they have to be a psychopath because they have or an and associate because they have to do things like. Doesn't that person have a heart? Like no, not at the not the same no. way you do. And that's that's the idea. So she kind of brought that up, and that's what a lot of people were asking her questions about. Mm-hmm. But I know she does some cool paranormal research too. So I've been following Paranormal Sarah for a while, and she was at the Chicago convention. Oh, okay, so right. I caught her talking about it, and I, I totally think she's going to be in Milwaukee this Sweet. year at the Milwaukee Paranormal Conference. Great. So we'll be able to catch up with her there and do more stuff. Like her Twitter is at Paranormal Sarah, and we'll put links to all the people that we talk about today so that you can check them out. The after lunch guy was named Scott Walter. A lot of his research had to do with this thing, uh, like the Minnesota runes, the, like Kensington runestone they found oh, in yeah. a certain area of Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And he's been on uh, America Uncovered, which is uh, like a history channel kind of show, and um, he, and he used to be a football player. Yes. Very, so he's an in- <laughs> interesting guy. Had a lot of cool things to say. But his research was really into this runestone and how it relates uh, to, like, well, the Norsemen, the Vikings and stuff like that. Like, we think of them, Leif Erikson and stuff, may have yeah. hit Greenland in, you know, well, what if the Vikings made it? All the way over here. To Minnesota, you know, all the way halfway yeah. to Minnesota in the 13th century. How did he... 
find the rune stone? Well, it, it was found in 1898. Oh, so okay. Like he did, like so, but but he found the the information about it. And yeah, it's so got really. He's a forensic geologist. Okay, I see. So like he was brought in to the Pentagon on September 11th. Wow. Not not the day, but to yeah. help find. Okay, you know the plane. Mm-hmm. Where did it hit? All that kind I of see. things. And so like. He was working as a forensic geologist when he discovered about that runestone. And so he wanted to go back and find out, okay, what time period is it from? Uh, like, when is it, where is the stone from? Mm-hmm. Things like that. And he traced it back a long time. And, and he, he brought in Freemasonry, too, and a lot, of, like, connected the... Um, there it is again. <laughs> yeah. So, he, I mean, he's connecting the dots to, like, these the long history of Freemasonry and the Knights Templar. And, you know, maybe it's the same kind of thing. Here or maybe these guys were Knights Templar that yeah. came, and so he was an interesting character. Some of it was above my head because <laughs> the Freemasonry talk. I was like, oh, okay, I don't really, you know, <laughs> I don't know too much about it. But uh, good speaker, well researched, and um, a lot of interesting ideas. So you know, we think about the the, the Norsemen might have been here a lot longer than we think they could have hmm. been, and I think that's that's cool. that's cool. So the Minnesota Vikings, that may mean they really might, <laughs> yeah. like they might be. Might be for real. More deeply rooted than mm-hmm. we <laughs> expected. Uh, next guy was Micah Hanks. And he has a podcast called The Graylian Report. Right. And uh, he went into secret societies. And so that was fun too. Because oh, cool. he talked about like the Skull and Bones fraternity that they have at Yale. Ah. Um, you know, George Bush, George W. Bush was a Skull and Bones. George A. Herbert Walker oh, yeah. Bush was what a was Skull that and movie? Bones. There was a movie about that. Well, there was back. a movie called like... The skulls, I yeah, can't remember, like but it had Pacey in it from Dawson's Creek, <laughs> <laughs> and like it was a secret fraternity at a university. But uh, I mean, the Skull and Bones is all. I mean, John Kerry was it too. So you have you, you have two guys running for president in two thousand four who both went to Yale, who were both part of the secret fraternity, who were both like, hmm. yeah, you know, what does that tell you? Hmm. Yeah, right. There's a real difference between the political parties, isn't there? Right. Yeah. So, but, but you would go to that. How those secret societies eventually would grow like the people start getting together in Washington think tanks, mm. you know, so the, the council on foreign relations and there was other think tanks that he talked about where a lot of the people who had joined that secret society eventually went on to become part of these think tanks that are affecting our government, policies our policies, things, things yeah. like that. Right. Uh, so the council on foreign relations is, is formed by a bunch of people who were from like the skull and bone society one thing that Peter Robbins talked about, and Micah connected this in his conversation, in his presentation, is that Peter Robbins talked about the Foreign Affairs magazine, which is put out by the Council of Foreign Relations. Mm-hmm. And he talked about the magazine, and that was where the phrase Cold War started. Oh, right. 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 So, he, so he talked about that Cold yeah. War. So, and the Cold War was our policy for 40 years. Right. You know, so do people in secret societies rule the world? Well... <laughs> Secret society, think tank, policy, yeah. Cold War. There you go. <laughs> so that was just, just a good way to link Profit. That. Yeah. <laughs> For profit. So he had a really strong presentation. Micah Hanks is a great presenter. You know, his, his the Graylian Report was always a really interesting He a sharp podcast. dresser. He is a sharp dresser. Right. Oh, and I loved it too. I'll have to, we'll put the picture up. So Friday, he shows up dressed like uh, the 10th doctor, David Tennant. Uh, Saturday, he shows up dressed like the 12th doctor, Peter Capaldi. And yesterday... I feel like it was the first doctor, uh, William Hartnell. <laughs> but anyway, sharp dresser, nice guy, also a musician. Yeah. And um, I'd love to talk to him more because he, he has a is a ton of things. And secret societies I always think are interesting. Yeah. And he didn't have any too many stretches. You know, he didn't talk. Okay. It wasn't Dan Brown, the Masons rule the world. Yeah, yeah. It was 
is pretty straightforward because mm-hmm. these guys, and a lot of them are you know rich white men, these wealthy rich men, they kind of get together and they talk about things. So naturally, you go from the Ivy League, if you go into Washington or you go into Wall Street, you go into business, now you're rich and you can start changing things. Right. And so um, it wasn't far out. It was just kind of like conspiracies are... You know, we, we tend to say, like, we use it in a negative way. Yeah. But conspiracies are just people getting together and making decisions and working together towards a common goal. And then hiding it from everyone else. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so uh, the next speaker after that was a, a UFO researcher by the name of Richard Dolan. And he's the guy when we first saw him. I'm like, hey, is that Wayne Coyne from the Flaming Lips? <laughs> he looks like the guy from the Flaming oh, Lips. Oh, yeah. And he was interviewed in the Travis Walton documentary. documentary. Mm-hmm. And he gets into more of the secret societies. He gets into more of the agenda. Cool. So Richard Dolan, interesting guy. So his goes more into, kind of starts where Micah left off at secret societies, mm-hmm. but he he goes far out. Okay. You know, he's like <laughs> in his research, he thinks that we haven't visited, the government is covering oh, it up. Sure. And disclosure. Why don't we have UFO disclosure? And we've talked about disclosure before. Like, why doesn't the government just tell us? Yeah. <laughs> and he goes into the reasons why the government oh, wouldn't tell us. Okay. You know, the reasons of control. You know, yeah. they're going towards more a transnational government where less sovereignty. Yeah. And, 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 the, and the, these people might not have bad intentions because they think this might be the way for humanity to go forward without war, without... Right, because, I mean, if aliens, if we have to communicate with them, if we have to, like, work out some kind of deal here, we want to work as a planet, not as one of the countries on the planet. Well, you know, and, and also the idea, some of the things he talks about is, it goes back to Independence Day. Yeah. Right. So Independence Day, when Bill Pullman makes the speech, you know, he's like, he said, we're not, you know, we're not citizens of countries anymore. We're citizens of Earth. And this right. is. Yeah, and, exactly. And it, it just happened to fall in the American Independence Day in the movie, which is kind of cheesy. And we'll, we'll do in a whole Independence Day thing when the sequel comes out later this summer, which oh, I'm like, I can't Independence wait. Day, it yeah, looks so I'm, cool. Of course I'm going to see it. Like, <laughs> but, uh, so it gets to that, that, would people see themselves as citizens of the United States anymore? Would they see right. themselves as citizens of the world? Yeah. Because no longer are we, I mean, now we're a state yeah. in a broader coalition. And now the earth is something where there's other planets out there that we have to contend with. Right. So are we going to fight each other over something stupid when there's aliens to deal with? Let's hope not. And so, I mean, even Ronald Reagan said that though. Mm-hmm. You know, he said that for the UN... And people point to that as like maybe he's he was he hinting something. at disclosure. Ronnie was hinting at disclosure, <laughs> yeah. and and people used to call him Ronnie Ray Gun because because right. yeah. of his build up because he built up the defense so much. But he even says that, and he talks about how you know if we had an alien threat, people would no longer consider they would consider themselves citizens of the world. Yeah. And so that but that's one of the reasons that they don't want to disclose, right? Because how do you control people? Yeah. Richard Dolan. Um, interesting guy, fun. He played some Flaming Lips songs. They were great. Nice. <laughs> no, he didn't. But uh, he did have he, that Wayne Coyne kind of look. Yeah, but his <laughs> uh, his presentation was just really sharp, and yeah. I I like to see that. Okay, so like, what's the long game? And it's all theories, and he'll admit that. You know. Well, right, of course, because what do you have to work on? He doesn't. He doesn't promise you that any of this is the absolute yeah. truth and stuff. But he goes into. You have to start with a hypothesis. Like, what's the long game for this? Yeah. And so that's that's where Richard Dolan kind of went, and I enjoyed that. Anyway, so then when you got back from getting your work done, then you came and we played some it music was for the time ma- to play. Yeah, and then we got to play some music for the cocktail party, yeah. and that was a real delight. That Just was extremely fun. We to, played some of our uh, "See You on the Other Side" songs. Yes, a lot of "See You on the Other Side" songs, songs we we wrote for this podcast specifically. Yeah, and we got to play them acoustic for the people at the party, and that was 
Um, oh, it was super fun. Yeah, that was super fun. And everybody was very... Too, they're almost too nice. Warm and welcoming like, and I'm like, they liked gonna our abdu- music. They're going to abduct us. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, why are you being so nice? Like, what's your uh, plan? Yeah, there's like a trap door in the, in, <laughs> in the but lodge. Then, but then everybody's just talking about weird stuff at dinner, which was awesome, which was fun. You it know? was. Yeah, but, we met lots of great new friends there. And, and it was fun because you'd see these people every day for four days. So by the time it was time to leave, I was like, oh, man, we got to leave our friends now. Right, I you, like these people. It's, it's like that, you know, it's that accelerated friendship that, totally, you get, like, yeah. that we get when we go play Through somewhere. Bonding with, yeah. And then... And you're talking about so many interesting things. And and people are, are freer to share things that they're not sure about because mm-hmm. they don't, you know, it's 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 a judgment-free zone. It really is. Like, everybody, people are a lot more open. And we, I mean, I think because of the, uh, the haunted tours that I'm involved in, oh, St. Paul launched on Friday. Yeah. Went, went well. Yay. Um, we also had a, a, a long segment on the Madison News on. Yeah. So that, so anyway, but because of that haunted tour stuff, I always feel like, it's always a judgment-free zone. I and mean, because right, we do the course. podcast, it's yeah. always a judgment-free zone around us. We want to hear that stuff. Like, we love it when people share stories with us mm-hmm. and things like that. But I, I think when you had people saying, you know, they were just like, man, it's nice to be in a place where we can talk about this without the fear yeah. of other people judging us. You're just like, well, that damn right, man. That's exactly. a good, you know, that's a good no, feeling. I like that a lot, too. And, and it was nice to be able to share that and, and hear people's stories and just be able to talk about some out there things without somebody looking at you like... Like, what's your agenda? Like, no, my agenda is to talk about aliens, man. Yeah, I just want to hear more. I want to hear what other people think. That's it. So uh, that was a real pleasure, and we had a lot of fun. And then Saturday night, we go to bed early because we're exhausted. Gosh, everybody at the thing was, it's just like every con, every convention or (laughs) conference, like, because you're going the whole day. Mm -hmm. And when you're not listening to something intense, you're talking to people. I mean, it's great, but it's really exhausting. we We hit the wall. Uh, you know, like 11 o'clock or something. I was like, okay, we hit the wall. But then the next day, interesting guy started out, Dan Madsen, who was the, like the president of the Star Trek yes, fan club. Yeah, that was cool. And that was something different from anything else the, mm-hmm. over the weekend too. So he had a neat story to tell. He did. So he's a little person and he was really influenced by seeing an episode of uh, Star Trek called Plato Stepchildren. Captain Kirk says to another little person on the episode, where I come from, your color, size, shape doesn't matter. And he said that influenced him, made him love Star Trek, made him love that idea of that universe. And he eventually became the editor of like the Star Trek Communicator magazine, got to meet Gene Roddenberry, you know, got yeah. all this access to Star Trek. And at the same time, because of his work was so good in Star Trek, George Lucas wanted him for Star Wars too because he's yeah. a big Star Wars fan. <laughs> yep. So he worked in the Star Wars magazine and even got a cameo in episode so one. So cool. So he actually got attention of the, mm-hmm. the guys yeah, <laughs> that produced and, these movies. And and he just has this, he's just got a compelling story of how that message from Star Trek of hope and inclusion and diversity in the future and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Changed his life. Yeah, he changed his life and it, it set a career course for him yes. to be able to be involved in these things. And to impact other people as well. In a positive way. Yeah. yeah. So his story, I, I, I it's so cool. you know, and he talks about being interviewed by William Shatner and, and being able to tell William, you know, everybody thinks of William Shatner, like his, all the stories from the set and stuff like that. Just like, you know, he's a classic yeah. Hollywood star, yeah. has his Stud. ego, has this, you know, <laughs> and William Shatner wrote the book, Get a Life, which when he had based on a, like a Saturday Night Live skit where he, you know, he's saying, get a life to these people at a Star Trek convention. <laughs> um, but he eventually came to terms with his star trek fame and 
you know, because like TV and sci-fi and everything, like now we're in the like the the Comic Con. It's Every, cool now, you know, like it's Robert accepted. Downey, like a great thesp- like Robert Downey Jr. was always considered a great actor from a, a Hollywood family. His father was a director and everything, and, and like a thespian, like a serious thespian, even but like before his drug problem. But when he came out, you know, mm-hmm. but he's the face of like Marvel comics, like and right. so all these great actors now will appear, you know, William Hurt. Academy Award nominee and stuff like that is in yeah. is in the Avengers and thing or in this new Captain America Civil War movie. Like all these actors will do these things now and be in genre films and be in sci-fi and, and things. But when you took an actor like Charlton Heston being in Planet of the Apes or Omega Man or things like that in the seventies, they're like, Well, it's Chuck a joke. Chuck is, <laughs> Chuck is slumming. Yeah, yeah. No, it wasn't and it wasn't cool to to like if you liked Star Trek, you didn't necessarily brag about it you know what i mean like right. <laughs> it just has changed yeah and now it's totally i mean we did we, we did an episode with uh, dr rebecca housel called like the rise of the geeks or whatever and it really yeah and that everything's changed so this dan madsen is there the hard times <laughs> like yeah. my youth yeah no but but you think about this I and mean, so his story of that uh is just really compelling and i even that's found great. out i even teared up a little bit yeah, me too. You know, I was like, okay, that's pretty, pretty beautiful. That and so, cool. uh, nice, nice guy, cool story. Mm-hmm. And after him was uh, something else that was interesting. Very. Uh, Jeffrey Doherty, the uh, Christian whistleblower. And before we knew him, it's funny because we were looking at him. He kind of looks like he looks like Jeff Bridges a little bit. So we were, you know, we were like, oh man. Before we met him, we're like, who's the big Lebowski? <laughs> You know, and he was such a interesting guy. And then he comes, you know, he looks like kind of he looks like Jeff Bridges. Yeah, and he was there the whole weekend at all the different mm-hmm. presentations, also. And he'd be talking to him in between he's panels, at, so we were on a first name basis by the time. Right, and he's asking questions, he's participating, and and he's somebody that used to be a preacher. Yes, for twenty years, he said. And then turns around as doing research in the literal translation of the Bible, and then starts having a different perspective, a different perspective on it. And I mean, he goes in to the, I mean, the literal translation of the Bible and um, the perspective from, okay, here's the King James version that makes it sound, you know, like, oh, when Jesus was crucified, the sky just went dark. The little tr- literal translation is something came in the sky and a shadow cast was cast, a huge, a, yeah. cast a huge shadow over the city. Like what? And yeah, so he goes back to the original, like the, the Greek and Aramaic yeah, and he re-examines the language and everything and starts pointing out areas where there's room for a different interpretation of right. what happened. The literal events. Like, so they talk about the, you know, when Mary is impregnated by, the Virgin Mary is mm-hmm. impregnated by God. And, and so in like the King James Version, it's just like, well, you're going to have the Son of God in you and it's going to be, but in the original translation, it's like there's, it doesn't say baby, it doesn't say person. Yeah. It says there's a thing, thing inside you. Yeah. And we hit some fun slides with the, like the alien, the gray alien oh, yeah. instead of Jesus. <laughs> and very dynamic speaker. Oh man, what a great speech. Yeah. But also it reminds me of this movie, there's a movie called Prince of Darkness by John Carpenter. And it says that, that Satan and Jesus are aliens. Like they're this alien energy that's come to earth kind of thing. Yeah. That was the, that's the theme of the movie Prince of Darkness. And, you know, he kind of brings that up he doesn't say that jesus is an alien no, or anything. he doesn't and he even right at the very beginning he said i'm just going to present some information and you know he emphasized many times i just want you to know you can look at it this way or you can look at it this way and 
which one is going to be better for you? Which one is going to bring you more peace? And right. And it's it, your choice to, to follow that belief. So, and his book is the Christian whistleblower. And I'd love to, I'd love to talk to him sometime where yeah. we, he can get in more depth on that. But Jeffrey Doherty, the Christian whistleblower. And yeah, you could tell him the old preacher and he, he goes into that, some of that, like he mm-hmm. gives you the hallelujah and the amen and stuff like that. But it, it's from a different perspective. And you know yeah. what? I can see where a lot of people, if it weren't at a thing like this, when you're, you're saying like something, you know, we make, we make fun of the Scientologists, like, oh, they believe in aliens. Well, you know, but people take the Pope seriously and he believes in a virgin birth and he believes yeah. in, and so this guy's got a different perspective and he's like, I'm not saying it was an alien, but I'm saying is there might be people who want you to think that or, right, yeah. the, you know, that the text is the original different text, like than who, what we thought. What were they actually trying to say before, you know, someone else got a hold of it and made this warmed over version of it. Right. And, and you know, he says that he really believes in the teachings of who he says, Yeshua, mm-hmm. the, you know, the name for Jesus or what we call Jesus. And he, and you know, he goes, I really believe in those teachings, but you know, it's, his perspective is different than the traditional church. Yeah. And it was cool because just to hear that from someone who had been a preacher and who has spent so much time researching the scriptures. And I mean, it was just right. Well, he said he spent something like a hundred thousand oh, hours yeah, reading crazy, crazy amounts. You know, of time. I can right, And I read the Bible for five minutes in a hotel room. I fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> what I thought was interesting. There was nothing particularly anti-Christian in the entire, but no. it, it was showing Christianity from different perspectives. Yeah, exactly. And it was the ability to talk about things where you could say that, like, you know, when Elon Milo Duquette comes out and says things like, well, the historical basis of Israel, like it didn't really start till the second or third century BC, that kind of thing would, yeah, like you can't say that. All of a sudden that conversation becomes politically charged. Right. Like, what are you saying about modern day Israel? Yeah. It's like, I'm not talking about modern day Israel, I'm talking about the third century. Yeah. And we have to talk about the historical record. Like things become politically charged. If somebody, you know, starts saying, well, the agenda of Christianity, now we, now we got to go like, okay. So is he saying an anti-Catholic thing? Is he saying an anti-Pope, a papal thing? Uh, it's nice to be able to discuss those things. Everybody has their viewpoints open and nothing is politically charged. Right. You know, I even read like Richard Dolan's talking about something. And he's like, yeah, you know, even he, the, only, the only political thing I thought I, you know, he, I thought he said because he's showing pictures of like Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump and stuff and saying how they were, you know, he talks about the Bilderberg, you know, them going to the Bilderbergs and things like that. And how interesting sometimes that the uh, presidential candidates will meet at these you know, they'll have these, these meetings and stuff like that. And all of a sudden they'll be the presidential candidates. And mm-hmm. they think the only thing is he's like, well, I do have a Bernie Sanders sign in my yard. Nice. And so that was the only thing close to a political statement. I heard the entire, the entire That's weekend, nice. Every, right. Which is really nice, especially in an election year. And I wasn't even offended by that because sure. I mean, he just told us about the alien agenda, yeah. you know, obviously <laughs> right. he's willing to be, you know, to go out there on the limb. And I thought that was neat that you could have an entire weekend where people say very provocative things and no one, like gets mad. Yeah, no one no, takes it. No one gets hurt. They just say, okay, let's discuss this. Yeah. Like, what are the points here? Like, I might believe this, something different than you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just wish all conversations could be like that. I agree. And I just have to mention too that uh, the the main, like one of the main MC, I guess I'd call it, mm-hmm. Scotty Roberts. Yes. He was also very... Oh, he's awesome. Very great. Because he was coming in, he had introduced, you know, each of the speakers and then he would during the panels, he would, he was asking questions and stuff like that. So I just wanted to make sure that we mentioned that he really like, he was the glue for the whole conference and um, it was wonderful to meet him. And he was just a really cool guy talking to him and Mm -hmm. just very welcoming. And And he didn't get much of a chance to present like his adventure because he does like adventures. Like he goes, Oh yeah. The the Egyptian thing. Mm -hmm. 
and he's done a lot of research into alternative history and but he's the glue that connects the whole thing together yeah so it was cool to he did a great job it is his baby and that and on friday night when we were all like partying a little bit after (laughs) like really get to spend time with him and ask him questions and things and um and he, like a real life Indiana Jones type character, like him and John Ward, and they have, yeah. they go adventures, they explore this kind of stuff. Uh, they print a magazine, Intrepid Magazine was their thing. And we're like, going to have him on the show, hopefully. Absolutely. <laughs> like, to me, that's living the dream. Yeah, like, definitely. Come on, you guys are living the dream. And so I... Uh, here, here. What a wonderful MC and just nicest guy in the world, which is sometimes when you're under a lot of pressure it's really easy to be a jerk or be <laughs> no, dismissive was, or yeah, anything. Yeah. And none of, none of that. And just, he was there the whole time. Like he didn't leave. He was, he was there for all the after parties, all the, you know, warm and in betweens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So totally. I think that atmosphere made it really special. And so if they do another paradigm symposium, I hope they do. Uh, if you are into this stuff at all, like the thing is there were a few people from Wisconsin, a few people from Minnesota. Yeah. But a lot of other people we met, which is other states, everybody came from yeah. across the country. Like I've been here before, it's really cool. And this is the best one. <laughs> like there was a girl I was talking to the last day, and what does she say? She's like, "Well, you know, I've been to a bunch of other paranormal events, and uh, you know, the when I came here, like this one was about science, alter- like people doing their best to prove their yeah. point in a nonsense, you know, in a in a the most realistic manner possible. And everybody here is really serious. About yeah. It. And that's how I felt too. I yep. was like, wow. Like everybody yeah, here each, is serious about being weird. Each person was clearly devoted, you know, their life to right. the topic they were talking about. So it's really, really cool to see. I'd say it's really an exceptional event. So if they do it again, I would recommend you guys do that. And we'll have links and everything. Yeah, I would go again, <laughs> talk. And just to hear more like... Now that I got the basics of all these people, I want to get to the 201 level. I want to hear the, yeah. the advanced. So We'll be following up with all these. Yep. So what, definitely it was, a, it, very, it was an inspiration uh, for a lot of podcasts to come and songwriting and things like that. And, you know, speaking of inspiration. Yes. The uh, song this week isn't something we wrote. Right. But we did a cover in a video a couple years ago. And in the video, we took footage like we use footage from fire in the sky yeah and it's about alien abduction right is this particular song by the killers called spaceman mm-hmm. and we kind of made it our made our own version of it made a video of it seems appropriate getting to meet travis walton for the first time when that was you know like that was main inspiration of the video yeah. and everything uh we were like well we got to make this the song today so this is sunspot version of the killers spaceman
you for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. The magic spell is going to the gym and eating right. Okay.